This is Off The Bench with Jason Matthews. A look back at the week in sport and the big interviews. And what a week it's been in sport. Of course, who could forget the Aussies picking up the T20 World Cup. That was early Monday morning. We've had a lot of rugby league news and some players moving around. Uh, the Aussies drew with the Socceroos. That was on Wednesday. Uh, sorry, the Aussies drew with China. The Socceroos drew with China. That was Wednesday. So much sport has gone off. And, of course, Tim Zhu uh, won on points in his 12-round fight against Japanese fighter uh, Takeshi Inoue. So it's been a massive week for Aussies in sport. And it's been a busy week on sports day as well with Sats and myself. We've caught up with some big names. Uh, none other than Cam Smith. Yes, the GOAT of Rugby League. Got a two-part chat with him coming up in just a sec as well. And also Maddie De Rosario. Uh, she, of course, won Olympics, uh, won gold at the Olympics. And she also just won uh, the New York Marathon as well. So she's a wonderful Paralympian, and we'll have a chat with her real soon. But right now... Part one of our chats with the GOATs, Cam Smith. I get the 2000 this year. Oh, Cameron Smith, he slipped over and he still got it. What a moment that is. Throws the advertising padding away, moves in from the sideline, falls over like he's on an ice skating rink and takes the crossbar. Right out of play. Yeah, see, my job is to find the highlights, the great highlights of players' careers. Hey, you, st- you still nailed it, Cam Smith. I-, I can't believe that. The fans are giving it to him as yeah. well, weren't they? Roosters as well. Oh, thanks, boys. It, it, show- it shows how short my highlights were in my career. <laughs> one of them featured was me slipping over, kicking a goal. But um, that was a uh, that, yeah, that was actually a uh, oh, it was a good moment, but a funny moment in, in my career. Is- uh, exactly as what he just called that. The the fans, the Roosters fans, are absolutely giving it to me, leaning over the fence. And I remember setting up the ball, and I, I looked at the turf around where my kicking tee was, and I'm like, this just it's real sandy. There wasn't much grass coverage, and I thought, oh, this this doesn't feel good. Sure enough, I've I've gone in to kick it and gone straight on my backside, and to much of my to my surprise, I've looked up and it's just sailing across the uh, the black dot. So. Yeah, yeah, quite good. a funny one, but yeah, quite a memorable moment too. And the look you gave the Roosters supporters as you're running back was, was great. <laughs> let's let's run through well, your stats. Yeah. Oh, sorry, let's run through your stats. This is my job every night. Not bad, not bad. Okay. Uh, NRL yeah. uh, record holder for most career games, 430. Record Three. holder, uh, 433, yep. sorry. Yes, record holder for most career points. 56 tests for Australia. World Cups, uh, three of them. Four nations, a stack of them, 42 games for Queensland, Golden Boot Award on two occasions, Dally M Player of the Year on two occasions, uh, Dally M Hooker of the Year about a dozen times, three premierships and 400 games. Uh, well, did he match or beat Bill Harrigan as referee? That's, I can't, as, a, as a blue supporter, I had to chuck that in, Cam. Cameron Smith, Melbourne Storm legend. Welcome to Sports Day. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. And, yeah, thank you, thank you for that little introduction. It was lovely. Thanks, Jake. I love listening to one of the uh, former referees, and you might be able to re- remind us who it was. He said, when Cam used to come and mm. talk to me as a captain, I used to always want to just sit down and put my feet up and have a beer with him and talk to him. 
<laughs> I think that was uh, Matt Checkin. Matty Checkin, it was, yeah, too. I think, yeah, I think it was Matty Checkin. So because he, he, he finished up this year, he decided yeah. to give it away. And I think that was, I reckon that was one of the first questions he was asked in, in an interview when he uh, announced his retirement was, what was it like to referee Cameron Smith? And <laughs> yeah, he made that remark that it was like, it was actually, he was, he was that engaging that he wanted to sort of pull up and have a, <laughs> have a quiet, have a quiet beer or a coffee or something like that. But um, oh, it's funny, boys. I, I, I get uh, I get sort of um, teased a little bit about that still to this day by not so much you know Storm supporters or Queensland supporters, more more the New South Wales people <laughs> or, or people that support other teams outside of the Storm about you know the work that I did with referees and all that sort of stuff. But it, it, it was nothing special. It's just talking to them with respect and talking about the game and sort of having a strong understanding about the rules. Yeah, there's a long, a long way between you and James Graham, put it that way. But um, <laughs> now, Cam, you grew up in, in Logan, which is a, a real blue-collar uh, part of Queensland, and um, you grew up around rugby league with your dad and part yep. of the Norse Devils yep. system, which was a Melbourne Storm system. Then finally you, you get to go down to Melbourne. But what made yeah. Melbourne so appealing to you as, a, as an 18-year-old to go to a club instead of – one of the others. Mm. Well, I, I think more more than anything, Sats was the opportunity, and um, it, it was funny the way it panned out, mate. Was because I, I was a Broncos fan through and through as mm. a young fellow, and I used to love watching them play, and got to go out to see plenty of their games live. Um, you know, through my teenage years, and I always thought, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to play in the NRL, that I'd love to play for the Broncos. But I don't know, I just never had that opportunity, or they never sort of come knocking. Um, to that and showed their interest until it wasn't until sort of late in the piece where um, it was in 2000. I, I just turned uh, 17, my last year of high school, and um, went away and played in a, a schoolboys uh, competition up in Rockhampton, and um, you know played okay. And then and just after that uh, carnival had finished, that's when the Melbourne Storm recruitment team sort of gave me a call and, and showed their interest and said, you know, we'd like to sign you on a two-year deal. Just after that, mate, the, the Broncos um, called up as well. So I actually went in and, and had a meeting with, with Wayne Bennett at Red Hill. And um, as, as it was as a 17-year-old, you know, it was extremely intimidating sitting in his office, you know, trying to, to talk to him. I didn't really say too much. But in the end, as much as I wanted to, um, you know, play for the Broncos... I felt as though that you know the pathway to the NRL um, was with the Melbourne Storm because at the time you know the Broncos they had Luke Prittis he was the current New South mm. Wales I think he might have even been the Australian dummy half um, at that stage before Denny Badiris sort of took over um, and also underneath him was Mick Ryan so he was sort of he was probably two maybe three years older than me so I was going to be third string at best um, for that footy side. Um, whereas Melbourne, the only recognised dummy half that was in that system was Richard Swain. Now, he was a very um, resilient type of player. I think he played like a ridiculous amount of matches consecutively. I think it was like 150 games in a row without missing any, any matches. But um, I've seen the opportunity down there um, far greater than, than the Broncos. And it was hard because I had to move away from my family and all that sort of stuff. And I moved down there as an 18-year-old. But I guess looking back on it now, it was, it was probably the best decision I ever made. Living in Melbourne itself and being away from the bubble of southeast Queensland and Sydney as a rugby league player, yeah, did you enjoy yeah. that? Well, mate, early on, no, <laughs> because <laughs> the, the like the climate was shocking, and yeah, you know, having to like 
as you know, like being a, a, a sportsman, you know, like all your work is done outdoors. And no matter the weather, no matter the conditions, rain, hail or shine, you're outside and you're preparing. So I remember when that first winter hit um, in 2003 and I just thought to myself, like, what am I doing here? And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a very different situation to what I'd found, you know, previously up you know, growing up in, in Queensland. You know, we hardly have a winter up here. But, um, you know, it, it, it was very different. You know, the culture of, of the city is very different to Queensland. Queensland, you know, everyone's very relaxed and laid back and Melbourne's a lot more sort of busy and on, on the go. But I must say, you know, by the end of my time there, I really loved the city and, and, and everything that, that makes it so special, you know, the sporting events, the food, um, you know, all the different events going on around town. You know, it, it really did consume me and, and you know, I ended up starting a family down there. So um, in the end, mate, like, I really love my time down there and and certainly, um, you know, it's great to be back home now. I've been back home in Queensland for 12 months, but um, I'd never sort of rule out, you know, some stage down the track sort of going back to Melbourne and, and staying down there again. I'll turn my microphone back on. Uh, Cam, we talked about all those great achievements off the top of the show, and I didn't even mention half of them, Sats. Mm. Was missing out on that 2008 <laughs> grand final, was that was was that one of your greatest disappointments? Oh, it was, Jase, it was. Um, and, you know, I've, you know, a lot of, lot of um, water's gone under the bridge since that moment, but I still remember, you know, the disappointment I felt um, in those last two matches because we finished minor premiers that year, were beaten by the Warriors, who finished eighth. And that was the first time that eighth had ever beaten first. They knocked us off in Melbourne um, when they scored right on the hooter, uh, the full-time siren, which made us then have to travel up to Brisbane for the second week of the finals to to play the Broncos. Um, So that was a huge game because that was the year where Wayne Bennett, he'd signed with St. George Illawarra. So everyone knew that this was Wayne's last um, season at the Broncos. So, you know, and we'd had our rivalries over the previous, you know, five or six years that I'd been playing. And um, I remember starting that match and, yeah, they they were very good. The Broncos started really well. At no stage in that game were we ever in front until Greg Inglis scored in the last, like, 15 seconds in the in the left-hand corner down the, um, the southern end. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I was... Um, I was charged for a tackle against uh, Sammy Thorday in that game. And it was because of what ha- the reason I was suspended for the prelim and the grand final, um, those two matches after that victory, was because of um, a charge that I'd received in week one of that season. Hmm. Um, so it was pretty costly in the end. But yeah, I missed those two games. And it just it's just a bad feeling, not so much from a, from a personal point of view, but it just it felt like I was... You know, I just I let my team down, and I wasn't there for them in those two games. Not that they needed me in that prelim against the Sharks. They, you know, we beat the Sharks twenty four nil at the Footy Stadium in Sydney. Uh, but then, yeah, we 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 went uh, we come up against Manly the following week, and they give us a real touch up. So I reckon that was the hardest eighty minutes of football that I've ever sat through. I reckon <laughs> just sitting on the sideline there, just helpless. And and I remember, you know, they. They panned to me just before the game started. I was sitting next to Ryan Hoffman. He was injured at the time. And uh, they put my, my they put my head on the big screen. And I reckon 
out of the 85,000 that were there, I reckon about 80, 83,000 of them do. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> so, so that was a, uh, yeah, that was a really uh, painful experience. You know, a really difficult 80 minutes to sit through. The first half wasn't too bad. You know, the boys weren't. It was pretty that, close. I think it was only maybe, yeah. Yeah, 12, 12 or 14 nil at half time, which, you know, like we'd, we'd come back from those deficits throughout the year before. But yeah, they, they were just very strong. They were a very good side that year, Manly, in 2008. And, and yeah, that, that was that was something that hurt for a little bit. I, I guess until the, the following year where we got an opportunity to play in the finals again. And I think Craig Bellamy's probably made a, a comment before that, you know, he'd never seen... He'd never seen me so focused for a final series um, like like he did in 2009, and that was probably because of the missed opportunity the year before. Mm, I, Craig Bellamy going to the club in 2003, Cam, and it's only a short history at Melbourne, 1998, Premiers 1999, of course, but how important was it mm. for him, to for all players, to embrace that very short history of the club? Oh, mate, uh, enormously, and, and still the club is still a uh, relatively... Um, young organisation compared to a lot of the other clubs in the comp, mate. So um, I think, you know, from with my time there, every year we spoke about, um, you know, the traditions of the club and past players and past administrators and things like that and, and having an understanding of, you know, the organisation and how, how it come about and those, those, those people that got it off the ground because I actually... Uh, there wasn't too many people that really wanted it to be successful, if, if I'm mm. honest. Um, you know, they were, I think there was a lot of people quite strongly against having a rugby league team in Melbourne, and they just they just didn't think it was going to work. So, you know, to have that understanding and, and to embrace those people that went down there in those first couple of years, I think it's I think it's it, it's a part of why the club's been able to have su- sustained success is because of the struggles that those early teams went through like mm. you know just just to tell the listeners a little bit about the storm in those early years like they didn't really have any rugby league ovals to train on a lot of the ovals that they trained on were either cricket or afl ovals um you know the fields were marked out with like witches hats rather than the paint there was no goal posts that they trained around it was just you know trying to <laughs> trying to work out around those markings made by witches hats or poles so you know the the, the facilities and the, and everything around them weren't great, but what they did was they just they worked hard for each other and and really you know formed like a bond together and thought you know let's let's get down here and make this work and they did like they won a premiership only in their second season in '99 and from there I think that's just where you know the club just went from strength to strength you know year on year. Pretty good explanation of, of why high performance centers aren't that important. It's about yeah. what's inside the yeah. jersey, really, isn't it? You know, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I interviewed. I've, I've mentioned this to you actually. I interviewed Craig Bellamy a couple of weeks ago at a luncheon, and uh, I mm. asked him the question: mm. Did you enjoy coaching your first year without Cameron? And he said, No, I didn't. <laughs> and, and and he gave an explanation why: Because he always felt as though that you're always that that voice he could go to, uh, voice of reason. Did you find yourself yourself and Craig and and the other brains trust within the side. Did you find yourselves um, meeting most weeks about what was happening that week and what opponent you were coming up against? Yeah, well, we did. We did sats, and and that was probably part of you know being in that that sort of group, that spine that people talk about. You know, your full back, half back, five eighth, and, and dummy half. 
you know, that was sort of, we, we met quite regularly with Cray um, and the other assistants just to talk about our game plan and what we felt would work against a certain opposition that week. Um, but also the, the one thing that Craig was really strong on was having, you know, the leadership, uh, a leadership group within the footy squad. And yeah, he, he made sure that he was a part of, you know, the, the times that we met and, you know, we spoke about anything that we thought, you know, needed to improve or things that we were doing really great. So the, so the group needed some you know, positive reinforcement on and just really about driving standards around our club. And I know, you know a lot of people have spoken about, you know, standards of the Melbourne Storm and culture and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, that was driven by Craig and, and, the, and, the, and the leaders, you know, throughout my time there was that we just had a pretty straightforward, I guess, mindset was that... Um, you know, the standards that you walk past were the standards that you accepted. So, you know, we just didn't want to lower our standards at any stage. We had certain things that we spoke about that needed to happen every day you were at training. And the one great thing about the the club was that, you know, we weren't afraid to be honest with each other. And everyone under, had an understanding that it wasn't, it wasn't anything personal if someone spoke to you about mm. something that you were doing it was, it was more about it you know trying to help them as a person trying to help them as a as a footballer and ultimately if they were better then the team was going to be better welcome back this is off the bench nrl yeah welcome back to it it's a, a big weekend of sport around australia we had a big week on sports day during the week myself and also scotty sattler it's jason matthews here i hope your weekend's going okay so far wherever you are Right now, though, part two with our chats with the goats of rugby league, Cam Smith. And one of the dark days, of course, I still regard the, the Melbourne Storm, the premiers of, of 2007, 2009. But um, one of the dark days, of course, was in 2010 with the, with the salary cap scandal. Now, when did you know something was – a black cloud was coming out of the club? When did, you, when did you start feeling that something was going on at the, you know, the, the operational level, that yeah. something serious was happening? Well, you know what, mate? It, it happened really fast. Like, and I'm talking within the space of about ten minutes. Wow! So we were, we were, we. I still remember Amy Park was uh, was being built at the time, so we had to um, shift our training sort of venue from that that precinct in right in in town there, where Amy Park is situated now, and we we were sharing um, the stadium. Mm where the Carlton Blues train uh, over in Carlton. So we were, I remember we were out in the training paddock and I, I couldn't see, I couldn't, like, couldn't find Cray. Now, that, this, is the old, this is the old stadium that the Blues used to play out of. So there's, a lots, of, there's lots of old grandstands and seats and all that sort of stuff. And, and I was sitting there and I actually mentioned to a couple of the players, I'm like, hey, boys, like, let's not um, ease off here just because Craig's on there. I reckon he's up here. It's a test. He's watching us somewhere. He's hiding in the stands. Yeah, wow. But anyway, uh, not not knowing he was actually being briefed by, uh, you know, whoever it was, there's some some sort of administration in uh, in his office about what was happening up in Sydney. So anyway, we got um, we completed a, a small part of our training session, and then we got called in to a, a group. A small, like just into a huddle, and then they said, um, "Hey, everyone needs to go into the team meeting room. No showers, no going to lockers. Go, sh- not not going anywhere else 
other than straight to the team meeting room. So we walked straight in there in our training gear and our footy boots and everything. And we all sat down and I reckon oh, maybe a minute or two minutes went by and then Craig walked in. And as soon as, I, as, soon as he walked in, and I remember looking at, I just, I remember looking at his face and the demeanour that he had when he walked in. I thought, oh, something really bad has happened. And I actually thought, I actually thought it was something that happened maybe to, like, one of his family members or someone close to us within our our group. Mm. Um, but yeah, and then so anyway, he he stood up in front of us and and pretty much delivered the news of what had what had been uncovered and then followed up with the penalties that were um that were handed down to us and so it was it was really hard to take mate i remember sitting there just um in shock really that that was really that's probably the best way to describe it like just in utter shock and and everyone in the room was speechless like there wasn't there wasn't a noise in that room other than craig talking and then pretty much once he delivered that news, like he he just walked out of the room straight away. Like he just couldn't sit in there and 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 face us really anymore because he could see, you know, the the you know, the the sadness on our faces and and sort of thinking back, going, "Geez, what's what's the previous, you know, four or five years? What what have we put in all this hard work for? It's it's all been for nothing." So. Yeah, it was all. It all happened pretty quickly. Um, but that was, yeah, it was a challenge, mate. It was a challenge that year to get through it. After that, like the the the, the, the weeks, you know, probably the, the the week or first fortnight after that news was delivered was more around uncertainty about you know what was going to happen with our footy club and our footy team and were we going to be around anymore. But then we're given the news that no, the, the club will survive and the changes that were were needed to to move forward. Um, and then just somehow we just had to work our way through that season, mate, and try and get up each day for training. And then particularly it was, you know, hard at times, you know, getting through games and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it was a difficult year. But looking back on it, it, it probably, you know, built a, a lot more resilience within, you know, the, the people that were involved in the club that year. And I guess, you know, give us an opportunity to sort of say, well, you know, prove a point that, you know, we're, the 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 salary cap um, breaches weren't didn't have a didn't play a role at all in us winning those premierships because what happened was fourteen players were forced to move on from that squad um, in two thousand and ten which is pretty much mm. half of your squad <laughs> moving on and they, and they weren't just you know you sort of everyday players or rookies like we had some world class players that moved on that year. Yeah, we bounced back the next year. Craig put together a, a sort of a makeshift squad and we ended up winning the minor premiership in 2011 and then obviously went on to win the premiership only two years later after being sort of torn apart. Yeah. Now, 433 games for that great club. Is there one that stands out? When you sit back and you reflect on your career now, is there, just, is there one that stands mm. out the most? You know what, mate? Funnily enough, like it's it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's the game that cost me the 2008 grand final. <laughs> it's it's that it's that semi final we played against the Broncos, and and it it it, it wasn't just the victory. It was it was the way it was the way, you know, we got the victory. You know the the venue that we played at. We're playing at Suncorp. You know the whole sort of build up for that game, and you know, it was Wayne's last year and all that sort of stuff. And the Broncos were playing for Wayne and. 
this was Wayne's year and all this sort of whatever. But, you know, like at no stage were we, as I mentioned earlier, boys, like we had no right to win that game. Yeah. Like they played really well. They played really, really well. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for Sikamanu, um, you know, popping the ball out of Ashton Sims' um, <laughs> yeah. grasp in the last, in, in the in the dying moments of the match, like we don't win. So, you know, for that side to hang in and hang in and hang in, and for Sika to come up with that big play at the end and score, like, I was just like we played in front of a packed house. I think there was forty five thousand there. Um, you know, in in what I regard as the greatest rugby league stadium in the world, it was. Um, yeah, it was just that was probably a standout for me. I reckon. How are you going uh, this year? Of course, you work with us uh, and mm. um, yeah. and and do the captain's run with uh, Dan and Camp, and it's very finely produced yeah. that show. I must say, <laughs> uh, just signed on. What is it? Another three years? You're going to do oh. the captain's run for as well. So, yeah. mate, congratulations. Yeah. How, how you how Thanks, you mate. how you enjoying the, the the media work? You also do some stuff for Channel Nine. Are you are you enjoying? Because we yep. Sats and I both know you're. You're a bit of a hobby farmer. That's your. He's that's got three your, chickens. He's got three chickens. <laughs> that's it. And, and he's got an old bloke across the road that does all the work. I saw the Billy Slater riding a, a yeah. horse bareback the other day, and you're getting chicken <laughs> eggs from chickens. <laughs> well, well, me, me, um, me, uh, me group of chooks have grown, boys. I've got nine. Wow. So I've got I've got eggs coming out me bloody ear holes at the moment. I'm handing them all out to all my neighbours, so they're all loving me. All my neighbours. Um, <laughs> No, and and yeah, my old mate across the road, Larry, he's going good. He's just he's one of those old fellas that just loves work, boys. Like, he just loves it. So if, as soon as he wakes up in the morning, he has to be outside doing stuff. So um, you've I, got plenty yeah, for no, him, I'm, I'm, mate. I've got plenty of work for him at the moment, and he he just he comes over and just helps me out. He you know we poured a slab the other day, and when I'm doing I'm pouring concrete. I'm bloody Larry poured a slab. Larry, and, yeah, yeah, you nah. supervised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I did, you know, what I did. I was on the shovel behind him, mate, just dragging, <laughs> dragging the concrete out. But no, it's um, uh, no, it's been fun actually, and and working alongside you guys has, has been great. It's um, you know, obviously I, I was aware of Sen, um, you know, from my days in Melbourne. You know, they've they've been a part of the, the Melbourne sort of radio broadcast for a long, long time, but um. Yeah, this year was fun. It was great to be able to get in the studio and you know talk about footy and you know share my knowledge of the game and talk about you know the things that have happened across the weekend and the things leading into the the games coming up. And um, I know I was I annoyed the hell out of out of you, Sats, with stealing your your pen oh. here and there and borrowing your notebook pad yeah. and all this sort of stuff. But mate, you've got me for another three years now. So, but, uh, Cam, have you have you, <laughs> have you found that you Yeah, he is. He's yeah. but but I'm the one who gets abused. Yeah. Oh, where's that Cam spirit? <laughs> uh, but mate, have you actually found that you've uh, have you upset any of your former teammates or or anyone in the game when you've spoken about stuff in the last year, or have you found it all okay? No, I found it all okay because you know I, I I speak from a from like a player's point of view as well, Jace. So you know I completely understand you know the situation that those players are in, and I guess that's that's the luxury I have of only sort of you know finishing up at the start of uh, or sorry at the end of last year. Um, yeah, so I'm only sort of just recently retired, so I completely understand what they were going through over. You know, this the course of this season, particularly with those bubbles and and you know being away from home and um, you know the challenges that that presented. But no, I haven't. 
I haven't upset anyone yet, thankfully. So <laughs> I'm hoping to I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to keep it that way for uh, the next little bit. Now, Cam, before we um, before we let you go, what we do with most of our uh, former legends from the clubs when we focus on the mm. on the clubs is we we give a bit of word association. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten words or less, whatever it may be. You can add a little bit more if you want. Right. I'm just going to ask you some yep. names. Um, you give me your opinion first <laughs> thing that comes to mind. Okay. 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 Billy Slater. Or lightning. Yeah. Uh, I had a man crush on him for a lot of years. Um, <laughs> I've got that on tape, yeah. Cam. We've got uh, that on yeah. tape. What about Dallas Johnson? Oh, very hard man. Yeah. And we saw the T20 Australian team arrive back in Brisbane yesterday. So the question to you is, if you had to spend 14 hours on a plane, who's the one player that oh. you've played with you don't want to be seated next to? Oh, um, Cameron Munster. Sure. <laughs> what a surprise. He is an absolute pest. Yeah. Pest. Yep. Okay, what about your, your former general manager of rugby league, Cranky Frankie Panisi? Yes. Uh, oh, look, you know what? He is he he's a man that hasn't doesn't get a lot of the um sort of, you know, credit for the work done at Melbourne, but he he takes a lot of work and responsibility away from Craig, which allows Craig to just focus on coaching, so um. Yeah. It's yeah. He's big a ups for uh for Frankie. Yeah, he's a great guy. Matty Buff Guyer. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's a legend and and a guy that um he was sort of like a big brother to me when I went yeah. to Melbourne. He's um he's he's about eight or nine years older than me, but he really sort of took me under his wing and yeah did did a lot of. Positive things for me, but he, he gave me some bad habits too, just quietly. So, <laughs> a, lot, a few bad habits. <laughs> okay, to finish off, Greg Inglis. Uh, oh, look, he's a freak. And, and like a guy that unfortunately had his battles with, with injuries throughout his career. So, but I, I was a guy that was very fortunate to see, I reckon, the very best of Greg Inglis, particularly in that first sort of half mm. of his career. Uh, but just he's a guy. He's just one player that you just. If you needed something to happen, Gi is the bloke that could do it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right, Camp. We better let you go. No doubt. So uh, you've got the oh, neighbour pouring some concrete or or doing something, collecting <laughs> eggs, or you're sitting back in a spa probably with a beer in hand on the oh, phone. There he is, Larry. Larry, I'll do that, mate. I'll, I'll finish the mowing. You've been going right, for fourteen boy. hours, Larry. Have a break, mate. <laughs> Camp, we appreciate your open and and your honest assessment of your days at the Melbourne Storm today on Sports Day. And uh, best of luck again, as I say, the captain's run returning next year with yourself and Dan and Camp. Look forward to hearing it. Thanks for your time on Sports Day, mate. Thanks, boys. See you next year. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench NRL. The lady we're going to talk to now, I reckon, is one of Australia's greatest athletes. She's, um, I agree. She's pretty special. Can I just read out some of her achievements? I like doing this. We won't have enough time, but you well, can read out I'll, some of them. I'll, actually, I want to get a reaction. I want to get your. I'm not going to give your name away yet, mystery guest. Okay, <laughs> so here we go. We've got two Paralympic gold medals. Yes. All right. Three golds at the World Champs. Two Commonwealth gold medals. By the way, one of those those gold medals were actually in Tokyo. By mm. the way. Uh, and recently, last week, won the women's wheelchair race in the New York Marathon. Paralympic legend, 
I, I can't believe we've got her on the line. And I'm actually nervous about talking and about this And she's Sagittarian as well. She's Sagittarian? Yeah. I'm going to get to some other stuff she is as well. <laughs> Maddie, De, I'm going to get it. Rosario is joining us right now on Sports Day. Hello. Hi, how are you guys? Good. Uh, look, i got to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous because I, I think last week we had our greatest guest, uh, former Aussie cricket captain Steve Waugh. You'd say that, wouldn't you, Sats? I think she's trumped him. I think you've trumped him. <laughs> you are absolutely outstanding. A couple of reasons I really love you, apart from your your athletic ability, but also the fact that you're a crazy cat lady. Uh, I love that. I'm a crazy cat man. What, what's the, how many cats you got and what's their names? Okay. I don't have any at the moment, but I was fostering cats for a little bit. And at one point I had seven in my apartment and it was ridiculous. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I okay no but I need to give context here I I fostered a pregnant cat and I was like oh my god kittens and then didn't think through to the part where there'd be like seven little menaces in in my not very big Sydney apartment what's the description of a cat lady was it like seven cats yeah four, four or more <laughs> yeah. in a unit right. yeah so she's now crazy cat lady <laughs> oh, I've got I've got two Max and Covey who is named after COVID-19 uh, and oh I think, goodness. and that's two kitter trays going changed over every two days. Imagine with seven bloody cats yeah. uh, in your life. Yeah, it was the worst. I now have like a, a dog named Sebastian. He's he's been here for about four years. So like we've we've kind of moved on. The seven cats kind of traveled. So <laughs> we now have a tiny dog. <laughs> now, do I call you Maddie or do I call you Bandit? What what do you prefer? <laughs> Bandit was an old nickname that my sister had for me when we were growing up that I but I do have a tattoo of, admittedly, so it's definitely definitely a permanent one. Now, when we get into your very impressive uh, athletic um, career so far, you're only 27 years of age. That is crazy what you've been able to cram into such a, uh, a very early part of your career. But you've got to, re- got to remind some of the, the listeners here that you competed in your first Paralympics at 14, Maddie. How was that? from a, a maturity point of view, having to handle the stress of an Olympics in Beijing at 14 years of age? Yeah, that was um, a little bit um, bit of a shock to the to everything, actually. I, I was definitely training with, with London 2012 kind of as the, the plan that, you know, my coach, Louise, and I were kind of, everything we were doing was, was with that in mind and I would have been 18 by that point, which makes a little bit more sense. Um, but a spot actually opened up on the relay team, which is which is how Beijing even happened. I I didn't really go across for for an individual event necessarily. Um, it was definitely a part of the the four by one hundred. Um, but no, massive shock. I was I was so lucky. I have the most incredible team that I kind of got to grow up, you know, having around me. And so Beijing was amazing. But I yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely unexpected. Yeah, you got a silver medal in Beijing in 2008 as part of that relay. But then, as Jace just mentioned, 2020 or 2021 Tokyo, two golds. What was it like, seeing that you've been to three Olympics, or the fourth one being um, in Tokyo, what was Tokyo like compared to the other ones you've been to when there's crowds, there's fans, they can celebrate? What was it like? It was a bit, it was it was a mix, you know. It was, it was definitely a little bit strange having no one in the crowds that was, um, obviously different from from other games that I've been to, but also I think we, we were so well prepped for it. Our our team, our staff back in Australia, they definitely gave us so much information leading in. There was so much transparency, you know, every step of the way, what it was going to be like when we got over there. So we really kind of had time to, I guess, prepare for it, even though it was so different. But I think one of the unexpected things that came from it was the the team cohesion that we had coming out of that. So usually with 
you know, dining hall access and stuff like that, you kind of just go and do your own thing. You don't really see the larger team that much. But because the Paralympic team didn't have dining hall access, we ended up having all our meals um, in the Australian allotment. And so you ended up seeing members of your team from different sports. You normally only kind of briefly kind of see and, and chat to in passing. You end up kind of, you know, sharing way more moments than, than you ever normally would. So I think coming out of it, the, the, the team culture that we had was absolutely unreal coming out of Tokyo. What was that like? as an athlete, winning two golds in Tokyo compared to winning the two golds at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast in your home country. Uh, is that still the greatest moments uh, winning on the Gold Coast or does Tokyo trump that without crowds? Oh, that is a tricky one. Winning on the Gold Coast was unreal because you're doing it in front of so many Australians. That was just an amazing experience. My my family was all there and it was absolutely unreal. But there is, there is definitely something special about the Paralympic gold medal. It's been the goal for for such a long time, for my entire career. It, it's that one thing that every single one of us out there, it's, it's the top of the list of things that you want to be able to do. And, and to finally be able to do it at my fourth games was, yeah, that's probably taken the top spot. Yeah. Oh, no, I've, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be an Olympic gold medalist. Um, how has your life changed since winning gold? Because you were, you were all over our screens uh, everywhere when you picked up gold uh, in Tokyo. And, you know, and we've spoken to a few um, athletes who have come back from Tokyo and everyone knows what they've done because, you know, we're all in lockdown. So we were glued to the TV 24 hours a day. How has your life changed? It's, um, I, I mean, in some ways it changes in a lot. You kind of recognise that that platform you have and, and the impact you're able to have is, is becoming a bit more substantial. But I also think at the end of the day, it almost changes nothing. Like you kind of fall back into your normal training and you're still doing, you know, I get to do what I love every day for a job and it you're kind of surrounded by the same people. So in some ways it's so different and in some ways, honestly, it is exactly the same, which I kind of love, to be honest. But it's amazing and it's amazing to know how many eyes are on screens during the games and, and during the Paralympics. So I think more so than how it's changed my life, I think the way it changes, you know, the way it moves, the Paralympic movement in Australia is significant. And I think we're going to keep seeing the impact of that over the next few years. Mm. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah, look at some of the, uh, some of the distances you cover long, middle, uh, middle and also long um, when it comes to all the events, the hundred meters, the 400, the 800, the 1500, the 5,000 and the marathon. Now, how do you train for all those, those different disciplines? You've got one of our, our great Paralympians in Louise Savage as one of your mentors and your coaches. How does she prepare for all those, those different disciplines? Yeah. So I definitely haven't touched the hundred, 400 in oof, a long time since London 2012, I think. Um, but you're right that the 800 through the marathon is obviously quite a decent span of events. But I think it's a kind of parallel wheelchair racing to swimming a little bit in that once you kind of can get the hang of the, the skill, you can actually span quite a few events and those skills actually translate really well. So the biggest challenge we have is is how you kind of get your body in, in the fitness base you need for the marathon to then come out of that and sharpen up for the track. And that's, that is definitely the hardest part. But once you kind of develop that, that base, it, it stays. And that's the thing that we're able to do through lockdown and through the postponement of the game, which was just work on that marathon fitness that, that I hadn't necessarily, you know, built up to the level that I wanted to. So that was like an, an unexpected advantage that came out of out of those two years. But um but yeah, luckily that the training actually complements the, the middle long and long distance. 
Now, you talk about marathons, and one of the most recognised marathons around the world, of course, is the New York City Marathon, a 42-kilometre course. Did you get to go through all the five boroughs? And, and how, how far out did you pinpoint the New York, the New York City Marathon to, to, try and, to try and win that event? But it does go through all five boroughs. It's an unreal race. You can't start on the Verrazano Bridge on, on Staten Island and you end in Central Park. And, yeah, you do get this the most incredible kind of tour of, of New York. Um, but for, for me, it was um, around the 25K mark, you're coming off the 59th Street Bridge, which is the, the Queensboro Bridge. And it's a bit of a tricky turn. It kind of, You kind of climb for a kilometre, down for a kilometre, like this big sweeping U-turn at the bottom of it. And that was kind of where I managed to create a little bit of a gap. And then it was just 17 kilometres of me just trying to hold that gap. There wasn't another opportunity in the race where you can really confidently make a break. And so I think I, I did create a bit of a gap. And then it was kind of just head down and, and try and do it. And, and there is like a different kind of stress that comes with having a bit of a gap, but not knowing how big that gap is. And and the last time I did race New York was in, in 2019. And two other athletes actually passed me in Central Park in like the last five kilometers. So as I got into the park, there was like this little panic, like rabbit mode where I was just <laughs> waiting for like you know, these two women to come flying back past me again. So definitely very stressful last um, 17. But yeah, it was about 17K to go that, that I made a little bit of a break and, and managed to hold it. This is Off The Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off The Bench NRL. Now on Off The Bench, time for a Racing Queensland update with Chris Nelson. The Tab Queensland Summer Racing Carnival has arrived. Well, you know responsibly. Oh. Call 1-800-858-858. Sorry about that, Racing Queensland. You know he's uh, extended his contract when his name's in the intro. Chris Nelson, hello, mates. Jase, you, uh, you're that jealous you're trying to cut in there and uh, cut my name out completely and talk right over the top of it. I don't know what you're up to. I'll get that changed next week. Now, listen, uh, Roma <laughs> Cup this weekend and Sunshine Coast. You've got about a minute. What's on? Uh, massive start to the Queensland Summer Carnival, of course, at the Sunshine Coast with the Malula Bar Cup and the Swiss Ace Plate. Nine races. It all kicks off at uh, 12.03 local time. If you're in the area, get out to the sunny coast. If you're not, watch them all because there's some terrific racing. And Roma, of course, has the Cup. Uh, seven races, the Cup and the Qualifier, the Country Stampede Qualifier. Uh, of course, those winners will come to town on December the 4th, I think it is, uh, or the 11th, I think it's the 4th, for the uh, the final with all those country winners coming to town for what is going to be a massive day, a big final. So some really good meetings across the weekend. And you've got a tip for the Roma Cup? Well, I haven't got a tip, but one popped out of my black book this morning that's going around in the race, and it's race six, number 12, Louis LaJoy who was a good thing beaten, I thought, at Toowoomba last start. Not sure how he handled the sand track, but it was a very good run. So I'll stick with Louis LeJoy, number 12, in the Roma Cup. A lot of the, your tips have been unlucky, but anyway, we move on from that. Uh, have a great weekend, all, mate. Well, <laughs> all, of the, all of the beaten ones are unlucky, Jase. You know that. Uh, absolutely. Chris, enjoy the weekend, mate, and uh, we'll catch up with so, you next week. Will do. Chris Nelson, the Tab Queensland Summer Racing Carnival has arrived. Head to queenslandsummercarnival.com.au. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. That's off the bench for another weekend. Uh, Sat tonight, back Monday night with Sports Day. We'll catch you then.